Good evening, my little darklings. Tonight, we're going in search of haunted houses and ghoulish graveyards. Within the House of Wills lurks an evil that had many years to fester, slowly growing more and more until it became the perfect paranormal storm. This former funeral home in Cleveland, Ohio, brought our first guest, Daryl Marston, the co-lead investigator on A&E's Ghost Hunters, to his knees. Tonight, we'll hear his story. Later, Dalen Spratt is here for the graveyard shift. Why are cemeteries haunted? Are they truly haunted? Can we communicate with the dead? Stay tuned to find out right here on the very best in paranormal programming. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is my Paranormal 60. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't float. He doesn't stand for baloney. here my friends you can feel it in the air the leaves have turned the wind has begun to blow and we can feel a cold crisp sense to the feelings around us that's right october is finally here our favorite time of year and i wanted to start it off right so we're going right to the scary I had a great chance to meet some amazing people when I was out at the Festival of the Unexplained in England. So many of you, about 20 to 30 of you, joined me on that paranormal journey through England and a stop at the Festival of the Unexplained. Got to meet some new friends there. One of those new friends is here with us tonight. And we're going to be talking about his book. And if you're looking for a good, scary book to read this October... The Horrors of the House of Wills is the book you need. Real life experiences as told by this guy, Daryl Marston. Daryl, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Dave, man. It's a blast. We uh, we had such a good time in England, and it was so great getting to know you and hang out and hear your stories. And I knew that when I wanted to kick off this month, this month of the scares, that this is the book I wanted to bring to people. Because, dude, your story is chilling. Now, just as a quick little catch-up for people uh, that may not have had a chance to catch the episodes of Ghost Adventures on A, or I'm sorry, Ghost Hunters on A and E, yeah, right. <laughs> um, give us a little bit of your background. How long have you been involved in the paranormal? Uh, it'll be 20 years uh, next year. Uh, I've been. Wow. I got into it by complete accident. Uh, 2005. I got invited to a paranormal event during Halloween, and I saw my an apparition. Uh, and I got into it and I just, I, I knew when I saw this or some way, somehow I wanted to try to recreate it. Cause I thought I was going crazy to be honest with you. Right. And, um, I just followed it as a passion and it kept growing over the years and, um, got into podcasting much like you and, uh, it grew from there. And that's where, uh, ghost hunters actually found me, uh, through my podcast. And, um, that's where they hired me from. Yeah. All right. Now, I've had a chance to be on different paranormal programs and kind of be 
deeply steeped in some of the historic sites. And many of them don't live up to the hype, sadly. Yeah. But when you find those that do, and they leave an indelible mark on you, there's nothing that will ever change your life again after that. And that's what you've got with the House of Wills. So introduce us to this house in, in Ohio. Okay, yeah, House of Wills, a little back you know, story on it. Um, basically, it was uh, built by a 32nd degree mason who was an architect back in the late 1800s. Uh, he, he built the location to harness energy. That's how he, he designed this location. And over the years, it was a German social club. It was a hospital, um, a speakeasy. And around 1945, it became um, Cleveland's largest African-American funeral home where it stayed that way all the way up to the early 2000s, where it got shut down due to fraud. So it sat vacant for about 10 years uh, in East Cleveland. And um, so, you know, it, 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 people try to break into the location, steal stuff and things of that nature until a guy named Eric Freeman came along and purchased the property. Now, Eric Freeman is a, um, he was a student of Anton LaVey. So he was a mm. high priest in the church of Satan. So he, him and Anton LaVey's grandson, Zach LaVey, actually broke off and splintered off and started their own, uh, the new Church of Satan, which they brought a lot of their rituals and things into the building. So I think that's why this building is so dark in energy, because you have all these layers of energy, good and bad over the years, for over 100 years. And then you bring in this dark energy when they're doing rituals and things in the building. They brought these demonic statues into the building and all kinds of symbols and sigils and things of that nature. And um, it, it got really dark really quick from what the people were they're saying, people who work there. And um, I got introduced to it by complete accident. People were talking about this location, friends of mine, like, you got to go see it. And I was like, there's no way it's going to live up to this hype they're talking about. Right. And I went in there as a complete, you know, like skeptic and like this, this is going to be bull. Man, I tell you, I've never felt the energy like that when I walked into that building. Um, I was having dreams about it before I even went. Yeah, it was it was really weird, and yeah, dreams and nightmares and things of that nature. And when I went, um, it lived up to that. Uh, whatever was there actually attached itself to me and followed me home. That's the first thing. That's the first time I ever had anything like that happen. For one thing, and it played havoc on my life for about a good five or six weeks. Um, where, you know, I was depressed, my family started seeing things. Um, and that's where I kind of drew the line. Uh, if you want to mess with me, that's one thing. You start messing with my kids, my wife, we got problems. And, um, that's where I drew the line and started to try to figure out how I can get rid of this thing and, um, reaching out to the public and reaching out to people I knew in the business, uh, trying to get help sometimes a little bit of help. Some of it didn't. Uh, and well, let's, uh, let's reel it back to your, to your pre visit. When you mm -hmm. started having these dreams, what type of things were you dreaming of? I was actually, I've never been to a location. I'd never seen pictures of it besides for the outside. I could tell you what that location looked like from room to room before I even got there. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what it looked like for some way, somehow, I don't know. Um, Dave, but I went there and everything I saw in my dreams or nightmares, whatever you want to call them, I, when I walked into that building, I saw it, it was there. The Egyptian room, the, um, the, the cathedral, the statues, all these things, they were there. Um, why the do you think it resonated so strongly with you psychically before you even got there? Yeah. 
yeah, it was it was scary because it was not with just with me. Um, I I wrote it in my book. My dog started acting really strange um, and started barking at things that weren't there. And he'd never done that before. You know, I, I live out in the country. I don't have any problems with people trying to break in or anything like that. And he would just act crazy sometimes. And this is leading up to maybe a, three or four days before I went there. And um, but it's just little things like that. You know, little there's these little things trying to tell you maybe I shouldn't go at the time. Right. I was a little bit immature as an investigator. You're talking almost 10 years ago. And um, the maturity level wasn't there, you know, like, you know, it does it as you grow into this, you know, into the paranormal field. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I should have, you know, heed the warning and, and maybe not went. But if I well, did If go, I can mention, Daryl, it's interesting that you bring that up, right? That you say, you, you know, you were kind of getting these warnings. Do you believe that whatever it was that was interfering with your world leading there, was doing it more in a protective manner? Or do you believe that whatever evil lived in the house of wills was trying to keep you away, trying to keep you at bay so that you wouldn't come there and stir the pot and draw the attention? I think, um, yeah, it could be both. I don't really thought of it that way, but I think um, whoever, you know, was watching over me, I think they were trying to tell me not to go. Um, because I, when I went there, whatever was there, wanted me to, it wanted a piece of me. Um, for some reason, some... I don't know why, but it really attached itself to me. Um, and it happened while we were there. I mean, there was eyewitnesses to this, you know, whatever this was attaching itself to me. And I mean, we're talking, this is, I was there in August. And at the one point you could actually see my breath. It was 90 degrees in this building. There's no AC, there's no electric. And you could actually see my breath after I felt something attached itself to me. And I yelled at it to get off me. And it finally got off me. And on video, they have a video of this black mass shooting out of my back and going into a wall after I yelled at it. Um, so I thought I was okay at that point. Yeah, I was, I was a little shook, don't get me wrong, but when it followed me home and there was still that attachment, mm -hmm. that's what really yeah, played havoc on me. Well, let's take it back. You, you have these dreams, you yeah. know you're going there. Are you playing the guessing game with yourself of, am I just tricking myself out on this? Am I just, maybe I'm in a bad headspace uh, kind of situation but you were willing to face that fear and yeah I'm, quite honestly dave i didn't think it was any i mean i thought i was just having dreams because of the stories i heard right. you know I, I, when i when i went there i was like i said i was, I was probably very immature as an investigator and i was like uh because i'd never ran into anything like that i'd never had been to like a dark location you know that lived up to the hype and um when i went there man i tell you the it yeah the energy of this location it was i can only explain it to you as it didn't feel like so much like the place was haunted by spirits, which they're definitely there, but it was a living organism. Um, it's just like you almost, you walked into the belly of the beast and it knew it. Um, as if the had, house had a consciousness of its yes, own. Yes. Like it was alive. Um, and it worries me about going back there, man. I mean, I'm supposed to go back to Cleveland in two weeks for a book signing. And I know they're probably going to try to get me to go there, but I'm like, yeah, I'm like a little hesitant. I ain't gonna lie. Um, cause I don't want to run into that again, but I, I think, you know, now with my maturity level, I, I'm able to investigate cause I've been in a lot of dark places since then. Right. And I'm able to keep it away, you know, by not, you know, going in as an observer these days and not you know, opening myself up to it and bringing the baggage with me, you know? Now, when you first enter the house and we've all, all of us that have been out in the field that are investigators, not just TV investigators, but investigators of all walks. 
we all have to deal with that little trepidation, that little nagging fear that no matter how strong or tough we think we are, there's still that, there's still that spidey sense that tingles that lets mm -hmm. you know how soon into walking into the house were you able to tell there was something off and it wasn't just your imagination or your fear. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I was told these stories about people live in that community crossing the street and avoiding the location, walking in front of it. They don't like that neighborhood does that. They, they think it's the worst. The, they think it's all evil that happens in East Cleveland is because of the house of Wills. Wow. I, I, I witnessed that with my own two eyes, people coming down the street, middle of East Cleveland, you know, busy neighborhood and crossing the street just so they didn't have to walk past the building. Hmm. I saw that with my own two eyes um, and I couldn't believe it. And then when you go into the location, you feel this darkness, man. It's like it's middle of the day. There's no light coming in that building. There's windows, but it's just, it's such a darkness that I can't explain unless you, and Dave, you, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. I'm sure you've been on locations like that where it's like light just does not penetrate this. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. Right. I don't know how it works. Um, all I know is there's, there's something very evil there. Not, I don't like using the D word, but there's something right. very negative there. And, once you get that palpable feeling that you know this is something that supersedes our nerves, that there is a living undead force within this home, what do you try to do to center yourself so that you can continue with the investigation? Because I know when I've had those moments, there have been times when I feel it and then I, I as a lead investigator, step back and I'm like, is my team safe at this point? Should we really be poking this bear? And I'll, I'll often have a conversation with my team about that, you know, sharing my concerns and, and kind of getting the consensus. But what's your, you know, usual take on, on dealing with something of that ilk when you walk into it? Well, I mean, since then, I mean, one of the practices I have, if you know, anybody starts feeling you know, strange, please let, you know, the, the lead or anybody else know, uh, try to stick in, you know, stick in groups if possible and, remove yourself from the location. Uh, mm -hmm. I always tell people, man, and this is something I try to tell the younger investigators and the new people doing it. If you have baggage in your life, if you have marital problems, financial problems, health problems, and you're going to some of these locations, don't go. Because if there's something bad there, it will it will latch on to that. Um, it, it's going to use that energy and that, that, you know, dark energy, you know, how you're feeling or whatever's going on in your life and use it against you. And I try to you know explain that to people, and hopefully they they listen. Um, but that's how I that's how I live my life right now. And be honest with you, uh, I'll remove somebody from a location if I feel like they're being threatened or they're you know off. How soon into being in there did you start to feel that the presence was actually working on a form of oppression, as opposed to just being there, you know, kind of watching from the dark corners, but that it was impacting and affecting you? What was that first moment for you? Within the first two hours, um, first moment was we were, we were down in the uh, basement level and we were investigating and um, we'd probably only been there for an hour and a half, two hours. We just got setting up, got everything set up and I started feeling ill. I mean, like I like food poisoning or something. I'm like, man, what's, what's going on? It just came on like out of nowhere. And that's when I started seeing my breath. Like I had my flashlight in front of me and you could see my breath coming out. It's 85, 90 degrees. It's August. 
there's no AC or anything in this building. And I asked the other investigators, can you see my breath? They're like, yes, we can see your breath. I said, and I can't see any of theirs. And that's when I feel, I started getting like the chills, like something was coming on. I'm like, man, this isn't good. So I removed myself from the basement and I was, I remember walking up some steps and apparently at some point I lost, you know, time because they got me on video, just kind of like staring and out to nowhere, just staring at, you know, like across the stairs and like that went on for a good 30, 45 seconds. And then I snapped out of it and I remember yelling for where it was to get off of me. And that's when, you know, my, the guy who was running the camera saw this black ball shoot out from me and go into the wall. Now, when you say get off me, do you do you physically feel a presence yeah. as though it's on you, or is this more of a an internal mind's eye sense that's that there's something there? Oh yeah, I could physically feel this energy on top of me, like it was latched onto my back almost, like just kind of like like gripping onto me, um, and it was just overtaking me. And I and I had the wherewithal to kind of like, all right, something right. You know, I'd never been through this before but something's not right. And I was able to like yell at it and it, it apparently it scared it away for, you know, a split second. But at some point in the night, it reattached itself to me without me knowing. And that's, you know, what followed me home. And I honestly, I don't think it was the whole thing. I think it was maybe a, a, a portion of it that followed me home, like an imprint almost. Um, because I, I think if it was something, if it was a lot worse, it would have taken a lot more to get rid of um, right. than, you know, five or six weeks of me, you know, trying to get rid of this thing. Um, so I, I, I thank God for that. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've almost left a piece of myself there and brought a piece of, of it back with me. Um, and I still feel that way to this day. I've, I've learned to live with it, to be honest with you. I have a question for you and we have to take a quick break, but I want you to just kind of think about this. And it just struck me. Many times we feel this thing. We feel something glom onto us our immediate reaction is fear in a sense that it must not be good. I'm just curious, as you sit back now and can reflect on it, what are the chances that this was a spirit trying to escape the house of wills, hoping that could it go with you? We'll, we'll answer that question in just a few moments. Stay tuned. We'll be back. We've got more to discuss right here on the Paranormal 60. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. 
do that today, you're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Hey, my friends, this weekend I'll be at the Rock Island YMCA Paracon. That's right, a haunted YMCA in Rock Island, Illinois. It's October 7th, 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. I will be one of the opening speakers that day. I will be there all day signing autographs, doing pictures, handing out hugs. Come on out and see me. And for those of you in the Roselle, Medina, Chicagoland area, I'm going to be doing a talk at Lake Park High School, my alma mater, in Roselle, and uh, you can come on out and see me on Thursday this week. I'll be starting my talk at 7 p.m. You can come out. It is free. We're going to be talking ghosts, angels, and otherworldly visitations. And then, like I said, follow me out to Rock Island, Illinois, for the rest of the weekend and enjoy the haunted Rock Island YMCA Paracon. And right after that, you can join me for a nightmare weekend in Richmond, Virginia. I'll be on hand, and it's a weekend of strange and supernatural talks, and I will be joined by some of the biggest names in the supernatural and horror movie realms. You can get more information, of course, on all of these events and more by visiting darknessevents.com. And then later this month, the sinister side of Comic-Con comes to life with Scarefest. October 20th through the 22nd in Lexington, Kentucky. I will be there with Michael and Jason and Ghostface, the Terrifier, and more. I would love for you to come on out and see us. Again, more information on every event and all the rest of the events where you can find me this year and already into next year. And soon we will have on the site the link for you to join us in Australia in 2024. Tickets and information will be up within the next 7 to 10 days. So keep checking out darknessevents.com. All right, we're back. Our guest, Daryl Marston, he is the author and real-life experiencer of The Horrors of the House of Wills. We're talking about his case, his example of dealing with the supernatural and what it meant to him, how it impacted and affected him. And before the break, we were discussing the fact that he had felt something, something immediately attached to him. He was able to get it to leave, but it came back, snuck back on him and attached. And at least a portion of that being followed him home. My question before the break was, Daryl, what are the chances that this is a hapless spirit that has been trapped in the house of wills, hoping to find a way out? Does that ever cross your mind in these situations? Yeah, absolutely. It has, especially in the last four or five years. I didn't think about it at the time. And I actually wrote it in the book where I think my, the way I look at it now is I think what's there is a community, basically a bunch of hitchhikers that came into this building um, over the years. It sat vacant for so many years um, and they kind of moved in, took over the place and there's a hierarchy. I do believe there is someone there who is, um, who is in charge of things, you know, he's the alpha. And I think that, uh, I think that he probably runs things and there is, it could quite possibly be that something tried to grab onto me to get out of the building as I think of it now. That's that's kind of heartbreaking, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of the sense I've felt is then the empathetic side of me wants to help these spirits, but how do we differentiate between something evil and something desperate? 
because that's that's a thin line, right? When you're afraid and feeling something unseen with you, you left this place knowing that you weren't alone and hoping that it would stop and fade, but it it infested your home as well. Yeah. Now that you've had the the opportunity to look back at it, do you believe that this being was there to cause damage to you and your family? Do you believe it was trying to break you? Or was there something else going on behind the scenes? I think it needed energy. I think it needed something to latch on to, to, to use the energy on. And at the time, maybe I wasn't in the right headspace. And I think it found myself basically as a conduit or you know, something that could actually take over and use you know, my energy. Um, do I think it's bad? It felt bad. Um, I didn't appreciate it. I didn't appreciate, you know, the, the way it was coming off, you know, to my family and to myself. So, yeah, I, I do believe it was dark. It was something dark. I do, Dave. Um, it, I, I, I don't think anything is going to change my mind on that. But I, I do think maybe it's quite possibly, too, that something, you know, was trying to leave there as well. Daryl Crystal asks, how do you protect yourself on an investigation and after the investigations? Uh, these days, Crystal, um, just like I was saying earlier, I go in as a complete observer. Uh, I don't bring any baggage with me. If I'm having any problems and if I'm thinking I'm going to a dark location, I will not go. I just won't. Um, and as far as leaving, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. Mm -hmm. um, I, I surround him with my light all the time, and uh, he protects me from you know, any darkness, yeah, whether paranormal or not. Has there been a case that has brought you to the point of considering quitting the investigations altogether? Was it this one? It was this one. And uh, that's also in the books. This word, you know, I actually thought about quitting. Um, I, I took a break for a few months, but I, I knew I couldn't let it break me. And um, so I decided to get back into it and, you know, slowly but surely. Uh, but this one, yeah, there was this was the one like, hey, I cannot let this happen to me again. I cannot bring this stuff home to my family um because it's you know it's not fair to them and uh right. but i haven't had that problem since thank god you know a lot of people don't take that into consideration like you it was until i, I let my guard down and realized that what i do can affect the people i love and the people yeah. around me and I began fortifying and doing my very best to protect myself, protect my home and make sure that when I walk through the threshold of my house, I've done all I can to clear myself of those energies. Um, when did you know that it had followed you home? What was the first indication that you weren't quite rid of the spirit? Well, I think on the, the actual drive home, uh, I was driving back from Cleveland. Now, ge geographically speaking, Cleveland's like eight hours from where I live. And so on the way home, it was me and another investigator. Um, and I kept, we kept, it, it, he felt it too. Like something was in the back seat. Like mm -hmm. we kept, it felt like a, almost like a childlike, you know, presence. And we, we kind of just shrugged it off or tired, whatever. Um, but when I got home that very day, I, I remember waking up from a nap and that's when it hit me. Um, and I, when I went into my garage and I was, I heard this buzzing sound and I couldn't, I'm like, what, what the hell is this? I thought it was a refrigerator in the garage. Something was going bad with it. And I remember turning around and seeing probably, and this is like something out of a movie, Dave. This is like out Am Amityville horror, like hundreds of black flies on my window. Like where, is there an infestation? What's going on? I remember killing them all with bug spray. 
Um, so I, I kind of shrugged it off. It, it is what it is. The next day I come back in there the next morning, they're back again. Mm. Next thing I know they're in my, uh, my office. Um, and this went on for a week, back and forth, back and forth. I'd kill them, come back. There'd be hundreds of them. Um, and I know that, you know, people, you know, one of the things is they say, you know, these darker spirits, you know, they, they attract that kind of energy. So I started reaching out to people, you know, like, you know, people who were you know, part of the clergy and stuff, uh, you know, that I knew. And they're saying, yeah, I mean, you, you quite honestly, you have you probably have brought something back with you that you shouldn't have brought back. Um, so, yeah, with you know, a lot of, you know, people helping me and uh, trying to figure out what's going on, I was able to get rid of it. If there are people out there listening right now that are considering becoming a paranormal investigator, but yet haven't dabbled yet, they're just kind of getting their toes wet. What is your biggest piece of advice to people when it comes to breaking into this field? And I don't mean to try to get on the TV, but to invest your time and efforts into seeking information from the other side. I always try to break it down into two different groups. Um, you have ghost hunters and you have paranormal investigators. Uh, big difference is a ghost hunter is someone who likes to go out on the weekends, have fun with it, get scared, whatever, and walk away from it. Then you have your paranormal investigators who actually investigate and try to solve an actual paranormal occurrence. Um, I, I suggest to people, you know, figure out what you want to do first. Uh, because being a paranormal investigator is a lot different than being a ghost hunter because you're putting a lot of time and effort into one location. Usually it could take weeks, months, even years to try to, you know, figure out what's going on, especially when you're dealing with a family, uh, which always scares me because yeah, you don't, it's a liability thing. Um, so figure out what you want to do first. I, I suggest being a ghost hunter first, having fun with it doing your, you know, your paranormal events, things of that nature, kind of things me and Dave do throughout the country where people show up, hang out with us, do that for a while. And then if that's what you want to do and you want to move forward, maybe put a team together, but put a team together of, of friends, people you could trust, um, people you don't mind hanging out and driving in a car for 15, 20 hours right. and, and sharing hotel rooms with, um, and then go from there, guys. Seriously, uh, just ease your way into it because it's not for everybody. Again, the book is called The Horrors of the House of Wills. Daryl Marston is the author. We have a link for it on today's program guide. Please not only go buy the book, but rate and review the book after you get done reading it. It's a great read. If you're looking for something spooky this month, this is the way to go. Daryl, we all get that challenge of will you go back to a location to prove that it did not best you? You said you're going to be in Cleveland soon. You know that they'll want you to return to the House of Wills. Now that you know that there is truly this energy there, that there are spirits perhaps in need of help or perhaps lost altogether and becoming one with the darkness, do you think that at some point you would like to go back and face this energy in this house to see if there's something you can do to settle things? Yeah, I would love to go back, uh, Dave, to be honest with you. I would. I would go back now. Uh, I think I'm a lot more mature I think I've got, you know, I've got a good grasp around this, you know, this whole paranormal thing these days. Um, I'd love to go back and try to see if the same things, you know, are happening there mm-hmm. and see if I can help if there is something there. I, I'm no, I, I'm not, you know, I, I can't cross spirits over or anything like that. I, I'm not saying that, but to try to figure out, see if, you know, I can help in any way, even help the owner of the building, you know, Eric Freeman and see, you know, if we can forward and move forward with things and try to help, yeah, what's ever going on there. 
do you believe that's a property, a stigmatized property that would be better suited being reduced to rubble as opposed to allowing more people to go into it? I, I no, I would think it would be better if they just they they close the doors and lock the place up. It's such it's such a historical site. I would hate to see anything go happen to it. Mm-hmm. It's got so much great history there. Um but I, I don't think it's for the, the the first timer. I don't think it's for anybody who's just starting out. I believe it's for people like you, myself, people who've been doing this for a long time that know how to handle these situations and know how to approach them. Um, that's what I suggest. Very good. Daryl, man, it was a pleasure getting to meet you, you. to hang out with you and, uh, and spend time uh, creating a new brotherhood in, in England. I'm glad that we're back here and I look forward to continuing this. Thank you for sharing your story, being open and showing your vulnerability to let people know the dangers that are part of this paranormal field and being able to accept that and, and help people learn from it. I appreciate that personally. Thank you, Dave. It was, it was a pleasure hanging out with you for a week in England, man. Well, we will talk to you again soon. Happy Halloween to you and yours. You too. Thank you. All right, folks. Now it's time to shift gears to the graveyard shift. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the stars of the Ghost Brothers is here. He's in the house. And not only is he in my house, he's also been to the house of Wills. Dalen Spratt, welcome to the show, sir. What's going on, Dave, man? How, How are you? Doing? Man, I'm good, bro. I'm doing real well. Thank you for having me. Hey, we just had uh, uh, Daryl Marston on, and he was talking about his book, The Horror of the House of Wills, and you had a chance to go and investigate the House of Wills. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to the graveyard shift and the stuff that you're working on now, but if you don't mind me kind of bridging the two aspects of tonight's interviews, what was it like for you? Uh, The House of Wills, hands down, is probably the craziest place I've ever been to, man. We always, well, it ain't really a joke, but we always say that we would never go back uh yeah man we just kind of feel like our experience there was a lot different from everyone else's that was like the either the first or second season of ghost brothers right and that's when we were very new into paranormal investigating like we didn't really know what we were doing at all for for people that are familiar with the ghost brothers like we didn't start off you know with years and years of experience like most people in the field did we were just blessed and fortunate enough that the beginning of our journey was caught on television. <laughs> mm-hmm. So people got to really witness us grow through the paranormal from day one. So when you watch the first episode of Ghost Brothers season one, that's literally like the second time in life we had ever investigated. <laughs> so you're literally watching from day one. But we were just totally against doing anything demonic, anything that had to do with the devil. Uh, we were naive to the paranormal, man. We didn't really know what we were getting into. We just knew that we were raised in church and that we didn't want to be affiliated or just do anything with the devil. And right. we made that abundantly clear to production, to the network, to everyone affiliated with Ghost Brothers. And everyone agreed. They was like, you know, that's why everything was like plantations and and uh, it wasn't even asylums back then. It was a, a, a riverboat. It was a sawmill. There was right. nothing too intense until the last episode of that season and they didn't tell us where we were going we pulled up to the house of wheels and i'll never forget our producer who was from england came over to us and he was just like oh have you guys googled (laughs) where you are and we was like nah nah why why would we do that we never do and he was like you might want to google it and man we typed in the house of w (laughs) we didn't get the finish 
I-L-L-S. <laughs> and the first thing that popped up was uh, the Devil's Airbnb. Yeah, it was like how the guy uh, who owns it, uh, he's a leader of the satanic movement in Cleveland, and he put the building on Airbnb during the Republican National Convention. So literally, he's renting out this devil church for people to come stay in. And yeah, man, we was just it was just a messed up situation because, again, we felt like we were thrust into one of the most demonic spots that you could be in with no no warning and against our will. No pun mm -hmm. intended. But yeah, man, that place is crazy. Crazy. You know, I, I, what I've really been excited about talking to you about is that um, one of the things that I really cherished about doing the show, The Holzer Files, was that Dr. Hans Holzer had such an affinity for history for understanding the story and understanding the lives that were lost in these places that maybe not recorded in the record books uh, or not thought of as highly as the owners of these houses. And it was a very, you know, I grew up in a white bread civilization in Medina, Illinois. I think I had two African-American, maybe three African-American students in my entire school. We didn't have race problems that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, I never saw that kind of issue taking place in my school. And I've lived a sheltered life in that sense that then being out there and actually putting myself into historical sites and hearing the stories, there is this, not the white shame aspect, but just the, the complete brokenheartedness of realizing these are more than just a story. Mm -hmm. Real people lived here. And we were going in hoping to give respect to those souls that were lost, but coming at it from a perspective that I can't even begin to understand the tr true depth and nature of what a lot of these real founders of our country had to go through. Mm -hmm. And your team uh, with the Ghost Brothers, you went to many of these places, as you said, plantations and manor houses and places where the, the African-American culture was treated extremely poorly. Uh, I know how it impacted and affected me and broke my heart being a part of these stories and hearing the way that uh, the native tribes and the, the workers were treated and, and cast aside. What is it like in the 21st century to be a person of color going in to investigate these stories and facing that part of history one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, uh, it's cool. It's cool because we talk about that all the time because when we go to these plantations, like um, the Magnolia Plantation in Louisiana, I think was the first one we went to. That was our first time really on a plantation. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm from the South. I'm from Texas. Like, you know, shoot. <laughs> and, and for me to never have technically been on a plantation was just really, really interesting. So that was our first time. And I think the experience was definitely um, eye-opening. But I think that it was definitely pleasant because we were able to shed light from a different perspective so mm -hmm. i think with the magnolia plantation the biggest misconception was that the slaves came here practicing voodoo and they were casting all these spells and now the plantation is haunted because of all these spells that were casted by the slaves of these you know on this plantation but when we got there and started digging around, we were able to dig a little bit deeper and we realized that they weren't practicing voodoo. They were practicing hoodoo, which mm -hmm. is a religion that closely similar is closely in similarity to Christianity. And it wasn't that these slaves were just coming over here casting spells. It was that when they got here, they had no protection. 
no way to defend themselves against what was happening to them. All they had was their religion and their faith, which was hoodoo. So you call it casting spells. Others would call it just praying for safety. (laughs) You know what I mean? And uh, I think it was cool that we were able to shed that truth. And even the energy was a lot different from us or for us. Like a lot of people felt like the the enslaved people, the energy from them, the spirits from them, or, you know, were running amok on the plantation. But it just literally seemed like we were welcomed when we got there. The spirits were playful. Uh, they were jovial. It was a part where me and Marcus was walking through the the slave quarters and you could hear knocking from the inside of the slave quarters on this plantation, but nobody was there. Like these buildings are closed down. Nobody lives in them. They're locked for the most part, but you could literally hear knocking and we would go to that cabin where the doors knocked on. And then literally the cabin across, across the way, you would hear knocking over there. Then we would go over there and then you would hear knocking at the door. We just left from <laughs> like, it was like, they were just, they were being very, very playful with us. Like the energy was just totally different. So I don't know. I think it's an honor that we get to shed light on stories that may have been misconstrued or just told from a different perspective that may not have been the most honest perspective. So we've been tasked with that. And it's dope to be the voice of, you know, a lot of minority stories, even going to right. Arizona and, and meeting with the Native Americans and, and stories attached to their land and just meeting with them and hearing their perspective. Like it's different from the white man telling you what happened and why this place is haunted to you talking to someone whose ancestors really died, defended, lived on this land. And they know the history and they know the energy that was put into it. And uh, yeah, it's just a different it's just it's just different. It's totally different. But I do feel like the industry needs a lot more. A lot more voices, a lot more different, a lot more different voices, whether that's great. Yeah more gay people, more women, more minorities, like whatever it is, everybody has a different voice and uh, everyone deserves to have their story told in truth when dealing with the paranormal, for sure. I was, I was surprised as, you know, as an adult, as we're digging through these histories, obviously we're well aware of the enslaved people from Africa that were brought here and horribly treated, but then to realize, oh, it, it's more than that. It was Native Americans. It was Chinese. It was even the Irish, right? I mean, these everybody had these levels, and and uh, to, to know it, to me, it's just so strange that there's this hierarchy where any difference puts you in a level where you were to be squashed, even if you were of the same ilk of the same color. You weren't from their town, their village, their their country. Of, of origin, so they pressed the, and oppressed the people. It was really mind-boggling to me to realize that there was so much of this taking place in so many cultures. Yeah, and yeah. and that was uh, that was mind-shattering to to see. And that there were times we would be in a location where we could sense that there were chi- Chinese migrant workers, African American enslaved people, Irish indentured servants that were there almost in solidarity together because their story had been forgotten. We're, we're here at this remarkable house where the owner was this famous merchant and blah, blah, blah. And then you realize that the story really isn't even about him. Mm. And, and the spirits that are now stepping forward 
are there telling their stories of why they stay there. And that even in the afterlife, a lot of them feel such pride in the place that they worked and took care of, or that they were there, that they demanded be remembered for more right. than just, oh, that was that was one of the slaves. It's not something dismissive. It's something much more powerful. And that, I've got to guess, having an actual tie to that community, would, would you ever leave a location and, and kind of just have a, a that emotional weight on your chest because it, you know, again, there's a break in my culture Yeah, for you. You don't just get to walk away and forget you are sensing and, and face to face with your past. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, again, I grew up in the South, man. I still live in the South. I live in Georgia. So dealing with race relations and, and, and all of that, I mean, I've been dealing with that my whole life. So like I, I, I get it. I understand it. I've dealt mm -hmm. with it. I deal with it. I know how to handle it. So going into those situations, I feel like I'm just, I don't want to say a more advanced, but I'm just a newer generation of my ancestors. So I might not have right. dealt with that to the extent of what they dealt with it, but comparative to where we are now. So right. I feel like when I'm in those situations, those spirits and entities and energies understand our connection. And again, like I never, I've never been in a situation like that where I felt anything negative, no plantation, no stop on the underground railroad, no place where it's supposed to be hunted by native Americans, enslaved people, any of that. I've never, me, Marcus or Juwan have never gotten the negative mm -hmm. energy associated with that, that people, have said that they felt at these places. And I, Marcus always jokes and says that our ancestors, when we go to these plantations, they see these three black guys be fought or uh, they see us being followed by like uh, our white cameraman. And it's like, he always makes a joke and like our ancestors are like just clapping, like, you go, boy. Right. <laughs> and white folks follow y'all around. <laughs> like, so he always makes that joke, like, like we're, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a different. It's a different time now and our ancestors are proud of us sure with what we're doing and we always try to go into a show on that level of respect though and our our biggest our biggest thing is just telling the true stories of marginalized people mm -hmm. and just getting those true 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 stories out whatever it may be and uh yeah yeah i mean i remember even doing interviews on ghost brothers and we've we've interviewed descendants of like uh plantation owners like we was interviewing this one man i don't even think it made a show and he was just like essentially like rallying behind his ancestors right to have slaves and how it wasn't that bad and how like they took care of their slaves and like the man told me this man told me he was like my family took care of our slaves so much that when slavery was over the slaves didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay here and continue to, you know, work with our family. I was like, ah, that's not technically how that went. Right. <laughs> they had nowhere else to go, my boy. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And a lot of, if you know the history of slavery, a lot of slaves that when slavery was over, they were forced to continuously work on the plantations that they lived on because they had no money. They had nowhere to go. And they, were still paid these minimal wages. You were still doing slave. Right. You were indentured right. servant at that point. Oh, you're a free man. <laughs> Go ahead, Dalen, and have a good life. Where are you going to work? What are you going to do? Where are you going to be? It, right. Sometimes it's we stay with the devil we know. 
Exactly. Exactly. And that was a lot of cases. But I was able to have that conversation with that man and look him in his face and be like, I don't think that's really how that went. (laughs) But he's never had someone (laughs) challenge him on that idea. But I mean, I thought it was dope that we were in a, we had a platform where we could do that. Granted, it didn't make the show, <laughs> but still, right. I still feel good about it. Do you think, you know, because it's always interested me, I know Native American paranormal groups. I know um, paranormal groups that have people of, of many different cultures and descents. But when I speak to them, they've often said, there's no way I do it on TV. What we do is so spiritual. What we do is so uh, different. And we treat that realm in such a different way that you know we'll let we'll let you just go on tv and do it and i thought wow that's kind of fascinating right i mean i don't see many people of any color at at paranormal conferences uh you know and and to me that's surprising do you think it is because of the cultural way that that each um race has been brought up with their belief systems and spirituality that that they maybe are more protective of how they interact with their spirits than than perhaps we are here in America or with you know the the backgrounds we've brought to it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like we always say the only ghost that black folks acknowledge is the Holy Ghost. And that's that's a hundred percent true. Like my mom was a pastor of my church. We've been she's been a pastor since I was in the third grade. Joanne Marcus grew up in the church. Marcus was a deacon, uh uh right hand man to the pastor. Like we all his wife is the head praise and worshiper a musician at the church like we all grew up in church our whole life we was always taught you don't play with stuff like that you don't acknowledge it you don't play with it there's demons and there's angels that's about the extent of where this stuff stops right. anything else is demonic there are no ghosts those are evil spirits like there's none of that that's how we grew up and i feel like a lot of a lot of uh minorities for sure have a very very especially black people and um hispanic people they have mm-hmm. a very very interesting connection to the spiritual world i remember i was dating a young lady uh, a mexican girl in la and i went to her house she, she her mother lived there as well and uh she was just showing me around and in her mother's room when i tell you they were catholic i have never seen so many like pictures of jesus and in in the virgin mary mm-hmm. like i'm talking about bedspreads uh, uh curtains pillowcases towels candles like mm-hmm. it was it looked like a shrine <laughs> when you like walk they shopped at jesus r us right <laughs> exactly <laughs> but it just shows the reverence right. and respect that this lady had exactly. like it wasn't no playing around with stuff like that like that was hardcore belief and people don't play around with stuff like that. So when you look at conventions like Dragon Con or, or Scarefest or all of that stuff that highlight the paranormal, it's almost like you're not playing with it, but you're 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 we are, I'm not gonna say you, we are accepting it in a lighthearted manner. You know what I'm saying? You go to these conventions, you got people celebrating it as entertainment as opposed to the deep rooted spirituality of what it is. A hundred percent. Not saying that people don't do both. Right. But you ask, why don't a lot of minorities come in in it? it, And and again, I don't think that they maybe know the extent of what these conventions are. Mm -hmm. And from the outside looking in, it looks like a celebration of something that you don't play with. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, yeah. 
but I do urge more people to come out because it is an interesting group of people that are just trying to figure out answers. Like, I don't think that, I mean, there are some dark people that do dark things that come out, you know what I mean? But right. everybody looks at them the same way. <laughs> like <laughs> Everybody looks at those people like, mm, you might be doing a lot, sir. But the yeah. majority of us that are at these conventions are like-minded people that just have a million questions and they feel comfortable being around other people that feel the same way or have similar questions or similar experiences. Well, one of the things that's unnerved me most about the concept of the afterlife is where do we go? And one of my biggest fears is being in a cemetery, haunting yep. near my grave. We're going to talk about Graveyard Shift, Dalen's project. We'll do that right after this. In the shadowed realm where moonlight weaves, where ghosts and ghouls find reprieve, a magazine emerges from the depths unknown. Haunted 39 has ominously grown. Its pages whisper tales of spectral fright, of haunted houses in the dead of night. With every turn, a shiver crawls down your spine as you delve into the macabre, line by line. With trembling hands and wide-eyed wonder, explore the depths of darkness down under. Haunting tales that will make you scream. Our chilling haunted magazine fever dream. Order direct from hauntedmagazineprintshop.com Available in the shops from the 5th of September. And remember kids, don't be normal, be paranormal. Hey folks, check it out. The Paranormal 60 Swag Shop is open. Paranormal60swagshop.com. That is a mouthful and words is hard. That's why I put the link in the show description. You can go check it out. We have got everything from phone case covers to t-shirts, water bottles, hoodies, and more. You can buy the Paranormal 60 News Crew shirts, a baseball paranormal uh, shirt. It's it, just so many awesome things. Go check out paranormal60swagshop.com and show your darkling pride. Innovation, creation, vitality, and joy are the pulse of MySoulTopia.com with many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoulTopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoulTopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoulTopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry with prices to fit every budget. MySoulTopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers expertly curated and award-winning book collections from top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. My Soultopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoulTopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, 
sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, mysoultopia.com. That's mysoultopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? mysoultopia.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-O-U-L-T-O-P-I-A.com. All right, we are back. This is the Paranormal 60. Make sure to like today's episode if you are watching it live or watching the review. You can always give it a thumbs up. Remember to subscribe to the program. And if you want, you can check out the audio version wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. My guest tonight, Dalen Spratt. Dalen, outside of doing the Ghost Brothers and your own podcast with them, you're doing a program on YouTube called The Graveyard Shift, where you have taken it to the cemeteries, to that last resting place for us. Did you have a sense that, man, I might get out there and there's nothing at a cemetery. What was your original fear about starting to do that kind of work? Man, to be honest with you, Dave, man, it was really right after, you know, everything that's going on in the paranormal community. Everybody's kind of just on ice right now, waiting to right. hear back what their television show is going to do. Are they coming back? Is there a future for any of us out there right now? And during that time, I was just like, man, there has to be something that I can do in the meantime. Like, I don't like waiting for new seasons to be aired and you have to wait. You know how TV works, right, man. Right. You really only film maybe once a year. You know what I mean? And like, you're waiting the other 90% of the year for either news or for your show to air or to get ratings. Or It's just right. a lot of upper-level management stuff that right. you hate to deal with. So I'm a writer. I'm a creative. I've been writing scripts and creating since I was a kid, man. And I have this thing called available reality. So anytime you're broke and you're trying to create, you have to create around your available reality. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was like, all right, I want to do investigations online, but I already know how this game works. The moment a location finds out I'm Dalen Spratt from the Ghost Brothers, it's either going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to be welcoming or they're going to try to charge me an arm and a leg because they feel like I come from TV mm -hmm. and I got it. And that's not the case, man. It's not that's that they try to take advantage in the paranormal community a lot. So I was like, I need to find locations that are free, that there are a plethora of. Mm -hmm. And I never forget there's a cemetery not far from my house. And it's beautiful. It's like sits up on a hill. And I, every time I drive past it, I'm like, that's really pretty. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks one day. I was like, I wonder, could I do a spirit box session at a cemetery? Like what? I mean, we've done it everywhere else. Asylums, prisons, plantations, boats, uh, House of Wheels. Everywhere in the world, we've done spirit box sessions and they've been highly accurate. We've done them in cemeteries before, but right. not the sole focus of just a cemetery. And I stopped. I asked my wife, I was like, what do you think about this? And she told me, no, she was like, do not go playing in cemeteries, Daylin. She's like, I'm going to call your mother. <laughs> she, my wife called my mother, my pastor mother on the phone and was like, mama, Daylin is trying to get He going to cemeteries. He want to go to cemeteries. Da, da, da. And my mom was like, no, don't be playing with that stuff. Daylin, da, da, da. but it was my father. My father jumped in on the line and he was just like, boy, go do it. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, I think you should. 
and I went and tried it, Dave. I went to the cemetery. I put up my speaker box, and I just had a full conversation with whoever was out there. Mm -hmm. and when I tell you I put it on YouTube, it just took off. People love the idea of the simplicity of that type of investigation. No tools, no REM pods, SLS cameras, K2 meters, EMF detector, whatever. None of that. Just a spirit box in your communication with the other side. And we've done hundreds and hundreds of sessions since then. We're almost to a year. We have almost 100,000 subscribers. When we started, we had 200. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it's turned into a full-time job now, man. And we've we've it's it's definitely taken a turn that I never in a million years saw happening. Like it started off with just me trying to have something to do to keep me busy and keep me in front of all of our supporters' faces. Mm -hmm. Then this community grew large and people start tuning in every day to hear these conversations. And then we started having conversations with spirits that had stories attached to them. So like a month or two ago, I was walking in a cemetery and I tripped and I like to be aware of like things that are around me and happening. So I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, I tripped here. Why did I trip? Let me stop here and maybe have a conversation. Maybe something was trying to, somebody was trying to get my attention. Dave, man, I did a spirit box session and there's like all these mausoleums behind me, not mausoleums, the crypts, you know, like the, the right, like look like the drawers that has like the name on them. Right. Yeah. So I'm, all of those are behind me, like this wall is. And I'm like, who's here? And they're like, turn around. So I turn this way and the box says the other way. Okay, <laughs> so I turn this way <laughs> and they're like behind you. And I look and there's this one placard of a guy named Hakeem Williams. And I have a rule. I don't like speaking to anyone that like they recently passed away. Right. Everyone that I try to speak to passed away in like the 1800s or the early 1900s. I like to have at least 100 years since you passed away. Just so I'm not stepping on family members' toes, right, right, of relatives, course. none of that. But this young man died last year. Mm. And I was like, it was on my heart to Google, just his Google his name. And I Googled this man's name, Hakeem Williams. And literally, this whole story came up on the internet. There was a change.org uh, petition that I found that his mother had started. He was killed in prison last year. So he was in prison in Valdosta uh, prison out here in Georgia and something happened. He was killed last year. And yeah, so I do the spirit box session. It's on my heart. I decide to do it. And what comes out the box was it was like, I want to say he said he was stabbed. He said that uh, the person that did it is not there anymore. Uh, there was a cover up. And he said, he said something else. Mind you, we didn't know any of this information. Right. None of this information. But this is what's coming out the box in little pieces. Cover up. Well, do you know who did it to you? They're not there anymore. Okay. Uh, can someone help you? No evidence. Like, this is what's coming out of this wow. box verbally. Dave, about two days later, this random girl I went to college with. I haven't talked to her since college. She <laughs> writes me on Instagram and says, Dalen, 
are you doing something in graveyards? She don't have nothing to do with paranormal. Right. Nothing. This is just somebody I went to college with who works a regular job, got a, a <laughs> husband and kids. Like, don't watch paranormal. Nothing. Sure. She was like, do you do something in graveyards? And I was like, why? She was like, some guy just wrote me on Facebook and he's been trying to get in contact with you for the past few days. And he saw that I was a friend of yours on Facebook. And he sent me a message asking me to contact you to get in contact with him. And I was like, who is this? Right. And she was like, some guy passed away last year and you talked to his ghost or something. And like the family wants to talk to you. They, wow. they put me in contact with the family. The family then comes and says, Dalen, I just have to let you know, thank you for what you did. And the information that came out of that box is spot on. I wow. talked to the young man's, the mother of his child. So she told me last year he was in jail. He got into it with someone. A guard came in and handcuffed him. Once she handcuffed him, the prisoner that he was in a cell with stabbed him multiple times. And he ended up being killed. Wow. The video footage was scrapped. They lost the video footage. Remember, he made he made reference to that. No evidence. Right. And then the woman that the officer that handcuffed him, remember, he said the person's not there anymore. The girl told me the woman that they think was responsible, she ended up quitting and transferring jobs. So she's not there anymore. So everything that he said out that box <laughs> valid was validated by his mother and the mother of his child. And they just thanked me so much for just bringing attention to this case. So they were trying to get like 3,000 signatures. They had like maybe a thousand. Our army of graveyard shifters all over the world came in and donated money. They donated signatures. Like it was crazy what our community did to try to help this family. And I thought it was cool that, yeah, this boy was in jail. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was killed mm -hmm. in jail. And the majority of people could be like, well, what was he in there for? You know what I mean? Like, well, he had to be in there for a reason. Literally no one in our community made those comments. And I thought that that was the greatest thing ever, that they were able to look past his transgress transgressions. And he only got a year and a half. So, like, <laughs> right to go to jail for a year and a half, it couldn't have been that bad. You know what I'm saying? But to get killed in there, for them to cover it up, and the family to have no closure... It just let me know that what we're doing with the graveyard shift is way bigger than I ever could have imagined. I'm thinking that we're just going just to see if we can talk to spirits, not realizing that there are really souls that need help that are actively trying to communicate to us all day long. And it's like either you're listening or you're not listening or you're missing it. And you just it just makes me realize how many messages are we missing literally every single day from the souls of these lost people that genuinely need help? I don't know, man. It's crazy. Yeah. The graveyard shift has changed my perspective on the afterlife a thousand percent. More what about so your than mom? most brothers has ever done, huh? What what about your mom? When you can present her with mom, look at this. No, As my mom with that religious. What's she, it like? She gets it. She is still my pastor, and she she her concern comes from my safety and being my mother. Uh, my, my YouTube channel is just my name, Dalen Spratt. So Dalen Spratt, and that's where all of my content is. 
And we have a link for it on today's program guide to make it even easier for you to find. Appreciate it, man. But yeah, my mom, man, she gets it. But her her concern comes from just, I think, just her concern for her son's safety. But I did a spirit box session. I thought I was being bogus because I always do everybody else. I've never done anyone in my own family. And my mother's mother passed away when I was in like the ninth or 10th grade and she's buried in Dallas. I've never gone to her, her, uh, her site. I went to the funeral, but I'd never gone to the graveyard to visit her. Like I just, I just, there's just not anything I've ever done. And I've never wanted to do a session with anyone in my family because I thought that that was just kind of weird, but I thought it was even more weird that I'm open to do other people, but not my own. Right. So I went to Dallas and I asked my mother for permission if I could go try and talk to her mother. And she said, yes. And Dave, man, I went and talked to my grandmother and we called her a very specific name growing up. It's bad, but it's not really bad, but she was heavy set. And as a kid, I called her fat granny. And that just turned into the name that the our entire family called her forever. It was an endearing name, fat granny. So I'm asking, I was like, granny, I got, there's a name that I have for you. If I'm really talking to you, can you tell me what that name is and clear as day fat granny wow okay you're here and i was like okay my grandfather passed away a very specific way her husband can you tell me how he passed away and she said boat she said drowned wow so my grandfather he went out fishing one day when i was two years old he had a stroke while he was fishing Mm -hmm. on a boat fell overboard and drowned and like literally that came out of the box but what got me was i asked my grandmother i was like who are you with right now and she said brandon dave the name brandon came out clear as day out of this box Mm -hmm. what's crazy about that brandon was my cousin who passed away literally two weeks before i had that interaction with my grandmother wow and I asked, I said, where's Brandon or what happened to Brandon? And he, she said he was out for a walk, out for a walk. And that's exactly what happened. He was out for a walk. He cut in between two cars trying to cross the street and he didn't see a car coming and it hit him and killed him instantly. But what was crazy about that is my cousin and I mean, everybody in my family know my cousin was in the streets like he was he had his transgressions with the law, like he was always into something like he was. You know, everybody else might look at him a certain way, but family loved him and we knew his heart. But he, you know, always in and out of trouble. But that don't make him a bad person. But to be honest, everybody was always wondering, like, man, we just hope Brandon got his life together and made it to heaven. Like, that's like the conversation. Right. Right. Family. But for my grandmother to say I'm with Brandon, like literally his mother, my mother, everyone called me after that episode aired and was just like, Daily man, I don't think you realize like what that has done for our family. Like just the peace that that has given our family to know that Brandon is seemingly with our grandmother, you know what I'm saying? In heaven somewhere. Now, Dave, we could be talking to, to, to Tyrone for all we know. Like it might not be my grandma. Like, but he's passing the message through. Right. But I tell people all the time, like, I don't know. And that's what makes this interesting. We don't know who we're talking to because we can't see them. And there very well could be other spirits pretending to be passing along false information. I believe in all of that, too. Mm -hmm. 
but it's just an interesting process to be going through, man. And just to hear so many valid responses. I don't know, man. Like I said, the graveyard shift has just opened up my eyes to just things that I've never, never imagined. And we drop a video almost every day. So yeah. it's turned into like damn near a daily podcast. A right. daily podcast. And again, point. we have a link for that on today's program guide, folks. So go click it and subscribe to it. I got to tell you, Dalen, when I was filming Holzer Files in season one, one of our, our favorite things, Shane and I would go to some cemetery and look for historical figures. Yeah. And I was a huge fan of the actor James Cagney. Yeah. And I got to stand there before his crypt, right? And there's his name right on the plate. And I just had this, I, I can't even explain it. I had this overwhelming sense to play a song and I, I thumbed through my deal and I, I found uh, Jimmy Cagney singing Yankee Doodle Dandy and it got done playing and I heard laughter in the yeah. cemetery and I turned around thinking, oh, was somebody making fun of me because I'm standing in front of Jimmy Cagney's grave yeah. with, with Yankee Doodle Dandy. Dalen, there was not a soul. Well, I guess apparently there was a soul, but there was yeah. not a physical form anywhere to be found. And then Shane and I get in the car and we're driving through the cemetery trying to find Babe Ruth and we can't find him anywhere. I'm like, dude, this is insane. This has got to be one of the most famous graves. We can't find it. Oh, hey, look at that. Schrader. And I stop wow. and there's my last name. And I take my camera up to take a picture. And all of a sudden I realize through the lens directly behind Schrader is Babe Ruth. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, that is so weird. Yeah. Just yeah. like it called out that moment. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. I've not yet broken out the the spirit box or or tried to make that communication um because I wasn't sure. You know, I mean, to me again, it's kind of a weird deal. What do you make of the sense there's still consciousness with this corpse? Dave, I don't know, man. I don't know. And that's what I like about doing a graveyard shift because I tell people every day, I don't know. Don't come watching my show expecting me to give you answers. <laughs> Because yeah. I am just one of you, except that I'm out here in the field doing it in front of y'all. So I'm literally every day I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But I have realized that a lot of spirits do miss music. This morning yeah. we did a live. Was that this morning? It might have been yesterday. Might have been yesterday. We did a live yesterday. And uh, I was doing a live spirit box from the cemetery. And I was like, what do you miss? And they was like, music. And I was like, dang, I can't play any music. And they was like, well, sing. Okay. So I, I sing a little bit of um, like uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or something. And I can't sing. And halfway through the song, the box is like, stop. And I'm like, man, <laughs> you don't like my singing? And they're like, no. <laughs> like, wow, okay. But it's just cool that these spirits really have these personalities. I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like if you if you adhere to the Bible, from my understanding, once you pass away, you're in this purgatory state until judgment day. And then you're right. all judged when the when um when the uh, rapture comes, the dead is mm -hmm. then raised and they either go to heaven or hell for judgment or whatever. If that's the case, that would make sense. Why maybe spirits are still on Earth because Agreed. they're waiting for judgment. Uh, Maybe energy just doesn't go anywhere. Um, Maybe spirits are just omnipresent and they're everywhere. <laughs> like, I do not know. And what's crazy is every time that we start asking those types of questions, we never get solid responses. Like you could do 
Right. Like there's things, some things that they cannot reveal. They cannot reveal or cannot talk to you about, or maybe they don't have the answers for. I always tell people too, when they're fearful, oh, I'm getting, oh, you're, you're, you're consorting with the devil. I'm like, when most of the messages I'm getting are of love and right and reflection to me, I don't think that's, uh, you know, I don't think that's negative. I, I think, you know, it can become troublesome if you keep going to counsel for the, with the souls, you exactly. know, and you can't, but that, but that's the same with anything. Um, it's, it's fascinating. You bring up music and I know we're a little past your time here and I appreciate you hanging in longer, cool. but, uh, when I visited Paris, we went to Jim Morrison's grave and because of the constant attention and, and things that have been done to his grave, they've now got a fence up. So you can't get that close. Yeah. And our tour group got up to that area and, uh, I, I broke out my phone and I played break on through to the other side, which I thought that's a apropos song to play and i will tell you i mean there were a lot of us just getting choked up being there in that moment because it felt like almost like this uh sense of even the spirits are thankful that we remember and that it means enough to us that we come here as a group to share this moment in in that so music is insanely powerful when it comes to re-engaging the soul and uh, it, it, it affects us so much in life. It's not a surprise that it happens in the afterworld. And I, I, Dylan, I just did an event this last weekend and we were in this uh, historic old school in Iowa. And I'm like, Boy, we're ghost hunting a high school. What are we going to find here? But the ghosts of broken dreams, right? right. What, what right. is there to find? And you know, we had a special investigator named Kendra with us and she is a sweetheart. She's 14 years old. Um, she is very much into this and, uh, she wanted to engage the spirits and she was asking the spirit box, do you know my birthday? Do you know what month I was born? Do you know what day I was born? She just wanted to hear something so desperately from the spirit realm. So I just said, Hey, uh, spirits, could you just do us a favor? Can you just wish Kendra a happy birthday? We're getting nothing through the spirit box. Loud and clear as day, it goes, happy birthday. That's and wild. everybody burst into applause and thanked the spirits because it is amazing how, no, I'm not here to jump through a fiery hoop for you. I'm not going to yeah. always be your on-command monkey to say, uh, oh, yes, yes, it's yeah. uh, the president was James Madison. It was 1923. They don't do that. But sometimes when you engage them in a way that shows, let's go outside, just wish her a happy birthday. You know, she she wants to know so much from this and that spirit engaged. And we find yeah. interesting ways to do that. And I find, and, and that's what I love about you too, is the em empathetic passion side that you show to these spirits it's never oh, yeah. so much about uh all right if you're really here you know it's more along the lines of what what can you tell us what have you got you know it, that is so beautiful that you bring that element to giving the voice to the lost and the forgotten and this may be the first time in a hundred years that somebody stopped there long enough to say hi that mandate i say it all the time before i start every shift i tell them i was like hey i just want to let y'all know i come in peace love and respect i'm with a group of people called the graveyard shift and what we do we come to speak to those who may not have been spoken to in a long time so that's it like we just want to talk to those people like you said they might have been resting there for 150 years you know they say they say that the great are only remembered for 100 years the great right. so like you know family members pass away they don't come you know what i mean they go on with their lives like people are 
forgotten after so long. Right. I think it is cool to come by and speak to these people. And I do these things called fly on the wall sessions where I set up my camera and I set up a spirit box and I leave and I just let it record. And I just, we just eavesdrop and see if we get any conversations. Dave, every time it's crazy. It's crazy. It's been times where I've set up the box, walked away and you'll hear them say, where's he going? Or you'd be like, he's black. <laughs> you, you'll hear, oh, he's coming back. And literally a second later, I'll walk on the frame. Like you hear them and you see how aware that they are of their surroundings. I've been doing spirit box sessions and they've been there. A lady will walk by walking an animal or something. And I'll be like, can you tell me what type of animal was with that lady? A dog. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Can That's you tell cool. me the color shirt that that lady's wearing? Red. Oh, wow. So you can see, you can interact. You are aware just like everybody else. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was in New right. Orleans Yeah. this past week. And uh, I filmed a video. Throughout the whole session, I'm feeling somebody behind me. I make mention to it throughout the video. Like, is that you behind me? The box is like, maybe or yes but i go home and i scrub the video i fast forward the video on my phone and you see this white as i'm looking back you see this white mist form head shoulders everything and it floats right past me i don't see it in real time right in real time i feel a presence and i'm like damn is there somebody but i posted the video on my page you literally see this white mist materialize head, shoulders, and it floats right past me in the cemetery. And it was the one time that I went investigating at night. I snuck into a cemetery in New Orleans at night. Like I hopped a fence and got in there and was doing a spirit box session. Right. And yeah, that was the first time that we literally caught. The, in New Orleans again, I put the, the, the spirit box on this platform in front of this mausoleum. And I leave to do the fly on the wall session. I leave it there while it's on. You hear these spirits talking about the box. They're saying, move it. No, Jim, you move it. Jim, I'm not. Dave, you move it. Like, you hear them talking. <laughs> Dave, the box starts to rotate. And then it falls off the, the where it's sitting at. Like, somebody pushes it off. The funniest thing ever, you hear the, the people talking back and forth. Somebody says, just tell them it fell. <laughs> like just oh, tell them it fell. <laughs> like they're going back and forth trying to come up with <laughs> an explanation with each other <laughs> to explain what happened. I, I had like, a very similar situation recently. I used the Panasonic DR60 as my recorder, and sometimes I'll set it down. And as I was talking, and I, you know, you can watch the light blink, and when it goes solid, that means it's recording something. So when I stop speaking, theoretically, it should just keep blinking. Right. And all of a sudden, it started to to just kind of stagger. And as it would stagger, the recorder started to spin on its side. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, what is happening? Yeah. And and we were getting response, and it was so powerful. And you know, you, you talk about them talking back and forth. One of Dalen, one of the coolest EVP I've ever heard in my entire life was when I was with Mark and Debbie Constantino and we were in Waverly Hill Sanatorium. We were in the morgue and there was a group of us and it was maybe eight to 10 people and, and Mark gets everybody settled 
And what he used to like to do is just start the recorder and not speak for about 10 seconds. And yeah. then he would start asking questions and he gets everybody settled and he turns on the recorder. Yeah, this is Mark and Deb, blah, 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 blah. And he plays the recorder back. And very clearly you hear this voice go, shh, they're going to try to record us. Oh, wow. And then you hear him go, hey, this is Mark and Deb and we're here. It was one of the coolest because you're right. Yeah. They are aware. Yeah. And if they're not in the mood to play. They're going to shh, everybody yep. quiet, right? Yep. It's like when no, that guest pulls up in your driveway, you don't want to see, and everybody lays yep. down on the floor until they yep. drive away. Yep. That That's powerful. Like, I've got to ask, be, there's a great <laughs> a great episode I love is where you're doing the, the spirit box session and somebody's trying to steal your car. That yes. made me laugh. But what has been, uh, you know, the most surprising, uh, aside from that moment where it was a, a relatively new uh, passing, what what has been the most surprising? Is it a celebrity? Is it a, a notorious person that has come through for you? What would you say really stands above all the rest, head and shoulders? So people have yet another cool episode to go seek. Uh, I think the one that you spoke about just now, my car trying to get stole was interesting mm -hmm. just because I was positioned in a cemetery where my back was to where I parked. And the, the box was telling me to get up and move around. It just kept telling me to get up and move around. So I finally take heed. I get up and I even say, man, let me move around. Apparently they don't want me sitting here. And when I move around to where I move to, that's when I get a clear view of my car. And I see the guy all trying to get up in it and all of that. And I was like, damn, <laughs> the spirits really just positioned me to see this. Like they put me on. There was another one. Uh, I did Bonnie and Clyde in Dallas, mm -hmm. Texas. And I remember I was talking to Clyde at his grave and it was like, he wasn't really trying to eh, like Clyde was being Clyde. That's how I know it was Clyde. Like he was mm -hmm. real, like what you the police? Like it was that type of interview. Right, like right. I'm not going to talk to you like this interrogation What you the police, but his brother Buck is buried next to him. Whose name is Marvin and Marvin or Melvin, Melvin or Marvin. They kept coming through. He kept coming through. Like the brother kept jumping in. And I remember at one point, one of them were being real chatty and all of a sudden they got quiet. And I was like, are you still there? And they said, here comes the cops. Dave, I looked up and literally creeping up the street was a police car. And I was like, even in the afterlife, these, you know what I'm saying? These bandits are still looking out for the police. They're still giving warnings. And I went and talked to Bonnie and what was interesting about Bonnie, it seemed like she had no real remorse. It seemed like she was putting the blame on Clyde, which I thought was really, really interesting. Like, yeah. I've been a huge Bonnie and Clyde fan since being born mm -hmm. and seemingly talking to her. But she's also buried to, next to her mother. So a lot of people that watched the video felt like it could have been her mother that was coming through. Or she's trying to be cool in front of her mom. It wasn't me. It was Clyde. Right. It was, right. but it was, it was, it was no accountability in the conversation. Right. Like it was zero accountability. Like it was all like he made me. Like I was, I thought that, that was really interesting. But another one that I did early on was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. So I snuck into, uh, I snuck my camera into the school de depository building where he allegedly took the fatal shot. To John F. Kennedy. So you're not allowed to bring cameras in there. You're not allowed to record. But I took one for the team. 
I snuck my camera in. I got there really early one morning. So as soon as the doors open, you're only supposed to go in groups of tour, like tour groups. Mm-hmm. But I, they opened the door, Dave, and I, sh- I ran to the to the sixth floor. Like I went directly there. So I was the first person at the window where he took the shot. Wow. And I pulled out my camera, and you can watch the video. I pulled out my spirit box, and I did a session like five minutes at the window. And if that really was Lee Harvey that I was speaking to, he was saying it was a setup that he was used. Like it was, it was crazy. Then we went to his grave and did a, a session with them. So it's just, I don't know, man, these, these spirits are telling their stories, but I, I will tell you what, what I'd like to do is I'm going to try to reach out to Judith Very Baker. And if I have not heard from her in years, if she is still alive, I would love to connect you. And I know that she would love to go to Lee's grave with you because she was Lee Harvey Oswald's lover. I actually had her on one of my radio shows. Oh, wow. Sat down straight across from her. And at first I'm thinking this lady's batty is the day as long. Dalen, she had a, a, a memory book this thick that she could show me pictures of and their, their time cards from where they worked together at this facility. Oh, wow. Everything. This woman was spot on as she was talking about, oh, Lee, Lee used to sing me this song. We went to commercial break and came back and my producer played that song and she just burst into tears. And if she is still kicking around out there, I'm going to reach out and see if I can yeah. find her. I would love for you. I would love to share that episode with her, but I would love for you to to take her because I think she would truly love to have that experience. Oh yeah, man, I would love to, man. I would love to. But how yeah, I... Dalen, how about this? I I know I don't want to step on the graveyard shift at all, but I would love. Maybe we can arrange one night live when we're doing the show, where you're out at a cemetery, pop on, and let's. See if we can have you communicate with the spirits live on the show. Would you consider doing that for a little? Yeah, bit? heck yeah, yeah. Because you right. can you can log on here from the phone, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. could shoot you the link. We can pop in. I just think it'd be fun for the audience to see it happening in real yeah. time as well. And I know you do lives, yep. uh, you know. And just I want to make sure that our audience continues to follow you and the work you're doing. That you know, it's fascinating, Dalen. And I again, I you know, I love you guys. I love seeing you at these conventions and hanging out with you. We always have a great time together. Always. And I love the way you show respect to the paranormal people, the field, and the fans. And uh, I, I look forward to working with you again in the future here. For sure, for sure, Dave. Man, I appreciate you having me on the show, man. And yeah, just let me know, bro. We can set up a live. Uh yeah, man, I do it every day, man. I, I like this is, this is turned into, and I tell people all the time, I'm so grateful. Like it's turned into like a full time job, man. Like and that's why we call it the graveyard shift. Like right. we've turned this community into like my 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 family. They're called shifters. Sure, and they're worldwide, and I, I threaten to fire people all the time. And like <laughs> it's, it's like it's a fun experience, man. That's like awesome. we have a really good time together. So yeah, well, we'll work it. it out. We'll connect again, Dalen. Uh, give my love to Jawan and Marcus when you speak to him next. And thank you for stopping in and spending a little time with us here tonight. For sure, man. Appreciate you, Dave. Take care, my friend. Again, we have a link up for our guests on today's program guide so you can follow them, keep up with what they're doing. I hope that this was interesting for you on many different levels. Hearing people's real-life experiences in haunting situations and the way that we choose to communicate with the other side dictates how they communicate with us. It's about respect. It's about love. It's about honoring the past and remembering it in the present. And I hope that the darkness is just a little bit more light with the information that we share on this program. Thank you so much for allowing me in on your journey. 
and for being a part of mine. We'll be back again this Wednesday, and we have a special episode. The Paranormal 60 News crew will join me, along with a very special guest that has an amazing story to share. We'll do that this Wednesday, right here on the Paranormal 60. (laughs) 